Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word. Join me once again in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And church, I am so thankful for Pastor Cody's announcements this morning. And uh, it was really fun having him on staff here, wasn't it? It was. Amen, church. Isn't it great to be able to have a good time in the Lord's house? It really is. Uh, As you turn to Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, I want to make this statement as we prepare to dive into God's Word this morning. There are few, if any, people in this room that have not been affected by divorce in some way. Few, if any. Maybe for you, it's something that you experience personally in your life. Maybe you're a child who had parents who have divorced. Maybe you know of a family member, a friend who's walked through this. As we prepare to dive into God's Word this morning, here's what's interesting and I think helpful for us as we prepare on this journey to move forward in Mark's gospel. When you preach through books of the Bible, when you walk verse by verse, here's something that happens. You don't get the opportunity to skip things that you may want to skip. But hear me this morning, what it also reminds us of is this truth that God's word speaks to every area of our lives. And is it important as we walk through this passage of scripture this morning to remember that this is God's gracious gift to us? I want you to know as we prepare to dive in this morning to God's word that there is, and we will look at this in depth, a parallel passage that goes along with Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And so you may want to write this down, Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12, a parallel passage that we'll spend some time together on this morning as well. Let's look, Mark chapter 10 beginning in verse 1, going down through verse 12. This is God's word. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother And hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. 
Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. As we prepare to look at these verses, to unpack them together this morning, you can write down this main idea that will frame our time together in these verses. It's this truth. Marriage is an institution created and defined by God, and it serves as a picture of the gospel. Marriage is an institution that was created by God and defined by God. And here's the beauty of it. It serves as a picture, a visible demonstration on this earth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to look as we walk through this on why marriage is so important. Why scripture speaks about marriage in the way that it does. And here's what you and I know that this is an issue within our contemporary culture that is, as we would say in South Georgia redneck language, cattywampus. (laughs) Write that one down. It's in the dictionary somewhere, I promise. But here, as we've been walking our way through Mark's gospel, over the last number of weeks, if you remember, we have been talking about what does it look like as followers of Jesus to actually follow Jesus in our lives? What does it look like not to set the standard for how we proceed and move forward in life by what the world says, but by what God's word actually teaches And so Jesus, if you remember, has been raising the bar for his disciples. He's been elevating for them this understanding of what it means to follow him with their lives, what it means to look different than the world around them. And as we come to this issue of marriage, as we come to this issue of divorce, Jesus does not, in this instance, lower the standard and say it's not that big of a deal. In fact, what we're going to see is Jesus elevate the understanding of what marriage is, and magnify the truth that it points to the gospel at its core. As we prepare to do that, I want you to to take note as we walk through the text this morning that what I want us to do is I want us to to come up to date where we find ourselves in the text with what has been going on leading up to this moment. So we're going to go back into the Old Testament a bit. We're going to work our way forward. We're going to look at the present moment as Jesus addresses this, and then we're going to look at the future. How do we as followers of Jesus align our lives and our understanding of marriage and this issue of divorce with what God's word actually teaches. So that's where we're going this morning. So let's do that, first of all, looking back just a bit. So notice in verses 1 and 2, as we think about the past coming up to this moment, it says that Jesus left there, went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. Verse 2, Pharisees came up, And in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? As we prepare to look at this, I just want you to know that 
The Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day have one mission. That is somehow to entrap Jesus in such a way that they can move forward and kill him. That's their objective. That's what they're trying to accomplish. And so they are bringing this question, not because they want to know what he has to say. They're bringing this question in order to trap him. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, I want you to first take notice as we look at the past to the biblical background leading us to this moment. In fact, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, you'll see this come up on the screen. I want you to to listen and to read and to take notice as we look back in the Old Testament. This is going to become important as we move forward, that this is the area that is addressed when it comes to divorce in the Old Testament. When a man takes a wife and marries her, If then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife Then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. In fact, we see that Moses speaks about this issue of writing a certificate of divorce, that a husband was able to do that, to give that to his wife. They would officially in that moment be divorced. And as he addresses this, if she goes out and remarries, Moses says here from the Lord that she's not permitted on the back end of that to return to her first husband. That would not be okay. So this is the background. In fact, as you look at this, you could underline there in Deuteronomy chapter 24, this idea of some indecency, because this is what is going to be debated from this point moving towards Jesus's day. And so what you need to understand is not just the biblical background, but there's a theological background at play as well. There were two rabbis This was about 100 years before Jesus' time. There were two rabbis, one named Shema and the other named Hillel. So you have two rabbis, and they approach this issue of divorce in Deuteronomy chapter 24 in a much different way. Shema goes and says, the only permissible way that someone could divorce their spouse is in the event of adultery. That's the only permissible way. Whereas Hillel looked at that and said, a man could divorce his wife for any reason. In fact, he interprets some indecency. He even even writes this down, which is interesting. If she burns the food, you can divorce her. Perfectly acceptable. So just keep in mind that some of y'all are thinking, yeah, we're done. That's it. But I want you to know at this point in time that that's the conversation that is going on in theological circles among the rabbis of Jesus' day. 
It's the conversation that is taking place. So you have this more strict understanding of what Moses was talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Then you have a more liberal understanding of what that is between these two camps. So that's going on in the theological spectrum of Jesus' day. But then there's one more key important fact as we think through this, and it is a cultural situation that's at play as well. If you remember in Mark chapter 6, verses 17 through 18, this was the conversation, the discussion about John the baptizer's beheading at the hands of Herod, the king. If you remember, John had spoken out against Herod and said that it was unlawful for him to take his sister-in-law as his wife. Remember, Herodias was not a fan of that, and so there was a situation that played out where John ultimately ended up being beheaded as a result of speaking that to Herod and to all who would listen. So you've got this biblical background, you've got this theological background, you've got now this cultural background. So think about this, as the Pharisees come to Jesus and ask him this question, It is a loaded question. In fact, when you look at it, there's really no way if Jesus answers this to win in any situation. Because if he says, well, here's what I think is going on in this situation, the religious leaders of his day could look at him and say, well, you're willing to compromise what God's word says, and so we could hold you accountable for that. But then if you are going to stay firm and say, this is what's going on and divorce is not permissible except for adults, if that's what you say, then now you're going to have to handle Herod. Jesus is in a catch-22 situation in this moment, and it's exactly what the Pharisees want him to find himself in. Remember, their goal is not truth. Their goal is power. They want the power. They are concerned that Jesus is taking that from them. So as we think through that, let's look now at what Jesus says in response, verses 3 through verse 9. He answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Now, when you look back at Deuteronomy chapter 24, part of what they just said is true, but it's not the full picture. It's not the fullness of what Moses said. In fact, they have just skated by a little bit in throwing this out. Jesus, knowing this, watch in verse 5, responds to them. Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. In fact, when Jesus says this, Jesus is pointing out something that's vital for us to understand. Jesus is pointing out in this moment, because he's going to follow up in verse 6, that God's intention for marriage is what we need to magnify. And so as we look at this, let's look at this from that perspective. Because he says, Moses permitted this because of your hardness of heart. 
That's not a positive thing that Jesus just said. Just put that out there. And then notice in verse 6, he says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. In fact, in this moment, Jesus calls their attention not to the cultural situation at hand, not even to the discussion among the rabbis of Jesus' day about this issue. Jesus calls them back to God's word, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and holds up for them, this is what God intended for marriage. Now you look at that and you say, well, I mean, it seems pretty cut and dry, doesn't it? Maybe. Because as I mentioned to you before, in Matthew chapter 19, we see a parallel passage that goes along with this. And so I want you to see this up on the screen because it's important for us in this conversation. Because Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9, verses 1 through 2 are very similar to what we see here. The Pharisees coming and asking Jesus this question. But notice in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 19, you'll see this on the screen. It says, And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Now, up until this point, everything is aligning with Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. We're seeing this. Here, though, is where Matthew adds a bit more to the conversation. And I say to you, again, Jesus' words here, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Scholars look at this and have labeled this an exception clause that Jesus offers here, where in a specific instance of marital unfaithfulness that a spouse was able to divorce the spouse. So we have this. And then I want you to notice as well, as we look even further in God's Word in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 15. Again, I want to I break this all down as we move forward to try to help us process through that. But I want you to notice what Paul writes, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, first speaking to couples that are believers, then at the end speaking to a situation where you would have a married couple, one who is a believer, one who is not. So keep that in mind as we read these verses. Paul writes, to the married, I give this charge, not I but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband, 
But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if a brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Again, Scholars would look at this as they walk through and they would say that in this situation, it appears that Paul is outlining a process in which if you had an unbelieving spouse, you were a believer, that spouse abandoned or left you, and the context of that falls in line with because you are a follower of Jesus. I want to make that clear. This is a situation where Paul writes here that the brother or sister is not enslaved. And most scholars look at that and say he is outlining a situation where in the event of spousal abandonment, that it is permissible in that situation for divorce to take place and possibly remarriage on the back end of that. I will say this, that as we look at that, there's been conversation, again, in theological circles about this, and the situation of abuse comes into play here as well. So we'll unpack that in just a little bit, but I want to give you a grid to think through this, because I think it will be helpful for all of us as we look at this issue of divorce and what does God's Word say about divorce and about remarriage. So there are three primary views when it comes to this conversation. Three primary views. Of course, there's nuances in everything, but three primary views. You may want to write these down. And, and as we begin to have this conversation, I want you to say that the cultural view in this moment in which we live, so let's back up for just a second, is divorce is permissible in any situation and remarriage is permissible in any situation. That's the culture in which we live. I mean, we even have written in our laws this idea of a no-fault divorce. So keep that in mind as we look at what I would say are the three primary biblical views regarding divorce. And as we think through these, just note that I think you can be a follower of Jesus, love God's word, and land in a different position from one another on this issue. You may be here this morning, you say, I'm number one, I'm number two, I'm number three on these issues, and I think we can agree to disagree on those, and we can still love Jesus together, okay? Here's the first one. Divorce is not permissible in any situation, and remarriage is permissible only after a spouse dies, all right? So divorce, regardless of the situation, it would look and say marriage is a lifelong covenant, one man, one woman for life. There is not any room within that for divorce to take place from a biblical vantage point, and remarriage is only permissible if your spouse 
dies. All right, so that's view number one. View number two, divorce is permissible, but it's limited to what I've outlined here, these exception clauses. One, this issue of adultery within the marriage context. The other would be spousal abandonment, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that we talked about there. So divorce is permissible in those limited situations, but if someone were to divorce as a result of that, remarriage is only permissible after the spouse dies that you were previously married to. So you're not permitted at this point if you're divorced to go and remarry someone else unless your spouse has died. So that's view number two. View number three Divorce is permissible, once again, in the limited situations that we've talked about, adultery or this issue of abandonment in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So divorce is permissible in those situations, and remarriage is permissible in those specific situations, and of course, if your spouse dies. So Those are the three primary views in this situation, which this is where your questions start to rise up in your mind. Pastor Michael, where are you on this list, right? You want to know that answer, and I will say to you, I'm on number three. I think that is what's most faithful to what God's Word teaches on that, and let me put this out there, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. And so I'm willing to have a conversation and address those and talk about that. And if I land there and someone else lands in a different spot, we can say we agree to disagree on this and we can move forward, love Jesus, and share the gospel. All right? Now, with that as our framework, this conversation that's going on, Notice that in verses 10 through 12, Mark is going to record this. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. So Jesus has just laid this out for his followers, but also for the crowds that were there. Remember that oftentimes Jesus would call his disciples aside afterwards, and he would explain a little more in depth for them. And so in this situation, his disciples want to have a little bit of clarity. They're like, whoa, Jesus, hang on just a second. We need to talk about this a little bit. And it says that Jesus explains to them even more. And what I love is that when you read this in Matthew's account, Jesus once again lays out for them, whoever divorces his wife, marries another, commits adultery against her. If she divorces her husband, marries another, she commits adultery. This is the exception clause in Matthew's gospel where this comes in as well. But then what I love is Jesus's disciples' response to what Jesus says. This is what his disciples say in Matthew chapter 19. Then it would be better just not to marry at all. Think about that. Jesus' disciples go, that's weighty. How do we get out of that? We just don't get married. That's better. Better not to get married than have to deal with all of this. 
I love their honesty because it's important for us as we think about marriage to keep in mind three truths. And I want you to write these down because for us, as we reflect on what Jesus teaches here, as we reflect on marriage, as we reflect on this issue of divorce, how do we move forward as followers of Jesus in this situation? First, we must recognize the importance of marriage. We must recognize the importance of marriage. In this conversation, notice that Jesus magnifies God's design for marriage. And when we look at that, what we're reminded of is that marriage, according to Ephesians 5, is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5 is that marriage outlines for us the love that Christ has for his church. Jesus is talked about as the bridegroom. We as the church are talked about as the bride. And Jesus willingly laid his life down for his church. This is the picture that's painted by Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 about marriage. And he ties it to the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. At its core, marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. It mirrors God's covenant with his people, which means if you're a follower of Jesus here and you are married, your marriage is a walking billboard proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is important for us to recognize. And I just want to say, this is why for us as followers of Jesus who hold fast to the truth of God's word, this is why the definition of marriage matters. This is why when Jesus calls our attention back to the fact that God made them in the beginning male and female and that God in marriage, this institution that he created and defined, talks about it as one man and one woman coming together in a lifelong covenant. This is why for us as followers of Jesus, we have to recognize that we must stand firm on the truth of what God's word says about marriage. Because if we compromise on this, ultimately we are compromising on the gospel of Jesus Christ because marriage points to the truth of the gospel. It's the reason why we have to recognize and proclaim and hold fast to the truth that sex should not happen outside of the marriage covenant. That marriage is between one man and one woman. That cohabitation prior to marriage is not in God's design and plan. Listen, all of these things, hear me, are contrary to what our culture says. But if we're going to follow Jesus, we must be willing to stand on the truth of what God's word says. Not only must we recognize the importance of marriage, but we also must recognize the reality of brokenness. The reality of brokenness. 
We live in a sin-shattered world. Think about this. Marriage is two sinners saying, I do. Look at your spouse right now. Do you know that they're a sinner? You're like, of course I do. And they know the same is true about you. Which means for us, even as followers of Jesus, marriage is hard work. But it's worth it. As we think through that, I just want to say to you, you may, as you look at what we've outlined there, the three views on divorce that God's Word, as you interpret it, could come in with, you may look at that and say, Pastor Michael, I have been divorced, and it's not in those limited situations the reason that that I walked through that. Just in an honest way, you may say, this is, I, I, I don't align with that. that. That's not what my story looks like. And I want to challenge you on something, not in a condemning way, but in a way that I hope will help you grow in your walk with the Lord. If for you, you've walked through divorce and it doesn't align, as we talked about, in those very limited situations and circumstances... As you reflect on that, can I encourage you to go to the Lord in that situation? And if there is sin on your part when it comes to that, to confess that to the Lord? You say, listen, you're kind of pressing in on something that's a bit painful as I think through that. And I want to encourage you in that. God will meet you at that point. And if you're a follower of Jesus, not with condemnation, but with forgiveness, and I want to encourage you in that, to approach him in that way. Maybe you're here this morning, you're married, but if you are honest with yourself and with me and your spouse, your marriage is hanging on by a thread this morning. You are possibly even thinking in this moment about walking away. I have never met a single person who has ever talked about walking through divorce and said it was easy. Marriage is not easy, but can I press you? Divorce is not easy either. And so I would encourage you, if you're walking through as a couple this morning struggling, pressing for, trying to figure this thing out, and your mind is checked out, and you're thinking, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm probably walking away at this point, can I encourage you, don't do that. Work hard on your marriage. Get help. Receive godly counsel. If there is sin in your life that needs to be confessed, deal with that. Your marriage is vitally important in the kingdom. I want to encourage you, don't give up on it. Lastly, we must recognize the grace of God. The grace of God that meets us at the most broken parts of our lives. 
Maybe you come in this morning and you have been divorced. Maybe you've come in and your mindset as you think about that is that God must think less of me as a result of that. And I want you to know this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, when God looks at you, guess what he sees? Not your divorce, but Christ's righteousness that covers you. That's what God sees in this moment. You're not less than if you have walked through divorce. I want you to hear me say that this morning because there are a number of believers and I've had conversations with them who have walked through the divorce and for them, they think that that is something that they just can't, they can't be close to the Lord as a result of that. Or they approach it in such a way that they think, well, I can't now have a good marriage moving forward as a result of that. And I want to encourage you. The grace of God is a beautiful thing. There are stories of hope within this congregation of people who have walked through difficult seasons in their marriage and God brought redemption in that. There are people in this congregation who were ready to throw in the towel and yet the Lord worked a miracle in their marriage and brought them to a point of reconciliation and hope moving forward. Which I want to say to you this morning. God's grace is greater than our sin. Amen. Where sin abounds, God's word tells us, grace abounds even more. I want to close with this. What is the key to a great marriage? It is a marriage built on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. That is the key to a great marriage. And so if you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, begin there. If you're here this morning, you are a follower of Jesus, but you're walking through difficulty right now. Run back to the gospel of Jesus Christ and find that God's grace will meet you there. Please hear me this morning. If you need help, let us know. Because we want nothing more and for the marriages at North River Church to be a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it will take us being humble enough to admit where there's struggles and where we need help for that to be the case. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as our worship team makes their way back up? I know that this may have been a tough message for you this morning. But if you're here and you are struggling right now, this is an opportunity for you to respond. I want to encourage you before the Lord right now, if there's sin that needs to be confessed, this is your moment to do that. If you need help in the midst of your marriage, if it's struggling, I want to encourage you, seek that help out. We would love nothing more than to help you in that. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus... This is the step that you need to take this morning.
Father, we ask that your word would penetrate our hearts. God, that it would encourage us and challenge us. God, that we would cling to the grace that you freely offer to us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand as we sing? Our pastors will be down front. Maybe this is a moment for you to spend some time in prayer before the Lord. Maybe we could pray for you. But you respond this morning as the Lord leads.